Everyone, welcome into the Woj Pod. Uh, perhaps you heard the first part of this conversation with my guest Zach Lowe over on the Low Post. We essentially just stopped halfway through a longer conversation that we had there, and we're going to pick up here on the Woj Pod. So let, let's start here, Zach. We we left off talking about the le- the legitimacy of a champion coming out of this season. That's going to be determined in some part by the structure of what the playoffs look like. And this week is going to go a long way toward the decision of who's coming back to play, how many teams play in versus pool play, regular season games. Let me ask you this, Zach. Who do you think this week are the most important voices that are going to determine what this looks like? With, if, if we're going to assume Adam Silver at the very top, um, along with Michelle Roberts, the Players Association, Chris Paul, where do you think the influence is right now? Well, I think after that, it might pivot right to scientists who are going to say, you know, what's the best way to do this? What's the safest way to do this? What do the protocols have to be? I realize that's a boring answer. Um, I, I think underneath that, maybe you get uh, – some of the agents who represent some of the superstar players who are on teams that are on the bubble of maybe coming back, maybe not coming back. And the, and those players themselves, what do they want? What is it going to take from them to really come back and play Damian Lillard, Bradley Beal, guys like that. Uh, and the GMs of those teams too. I think, I think you get into, I mean, we know 16 teams are coming back. We know that. So I think the, the voices of the next group of teams and the players on those next group of teams to me would stick out as, as uh, as the most important, but as as you said before, I mean, this is Adam Silver's show. At the end of the day, it's going to be his call. You're more plugged in than I am for sure. I, I can't imagine that whatever goes to a vote before the board of governors is not going to be supported. I mean, I just can't imagine that these teams are not going to line up and say, "Okay, we've we've waited, we've we've debated, we've considered, we've reached the point whether it's this week or next week of no return. This is the proposal. We'll do it." Yeah, and and whatever Adam Silver ultimately takes the people in a very in – in whether it's a formal vote. And I don't know that the Board of Governors – I don't know that it's necessarily a formal we need three-quarters or two-thirds. I think it's – he knows where the support is on different issues, and he knows where the compromises have to be to maybe get somebody behind an idea. And, and anything you see a player, a star player saying publicly right now – you can be assured that player has had access to Adam Silver to tell him that privately. Absolutely. And the Players Association knows Adam Silver's not being surprised by anything a player is saying right now, especially among the elite, because they talk to him. They're, that communication is pretty consistent. It's maybe even more, it's been more so now in these last few months, because Silver knows that to sell anything, he has got to have the star players on his side and that the star players are going to sell it to their peers, to those further down on their roster. They're going to sell it to their general manager. They're going to sell it to their owner because if LeBron James tells hypothetically, listen, we know the Lakers want to play. They want to win a championship, but whether it's LeBron James or Damian Lillard or Giannis Antetokounmpo, go down the line. When a star player has a very strong view of what he wants, and it's within the reason of the structure, well, it's very likely going to be adopted by his team because that's the power 
of the star player and the peer pressure as it trickles down in organizations and rosters. And so Adam Silver needs the stars to do that for him, but he also needs them to sell it to the public. And listen, a year ago, what we were talking about right now, the biggest issue facing the owners, Zach, and the general managers and the players, what were you and I spending week upon week writing about? The play-in tournament, the mid-season tournament, Mm -hmm. the reseeding of the playoffs. There was a lot of, just like we're hearing now, some agreed with some parts of it, some wanted none of it, some wanted all of it, and Adam Silver was trying to get it all through. And he needed, ultimately, he needed the star players. If that was going to happen, he needed buy-in from the star players, and then he needed the star players to go sell it to a television audience, to a ticket-buying public. And that is as much the case now as as it's ever been. Yeah, and and I think um, I think this season has actually been an interesting season for the theoretical play-in tournament. Not to turn us sideways there, but you know, part of the reason why people didn't like the some people objected to the play-in tournament idea, which was would involve seven, eight, nine, and ten. Well, we have a season in the Western Conference right now where there's just a gigantic gap between whoever finishes seventh. Right now, it's Dallas, but it could have been a number of teams. Uh, and everyone else, and is it fair to Dallas or whoever that they're in, entered into a playoff tournament? There's no right answers to these questions, and there particularly are no right answers um, to this specific season because it's ever. Some people are going to win, some people are going to lose. At the end of the day, the NBA is just trying to salvage something. And and you know, as you've detailed in your reporting, there's a series of calls this week culminating in a Friday Board of Governors call. I think people are anticipating something coming out of that call. I, I don't know what it what it will be, right? I mean, I, I don't know how it's going to be something. Something is going to come out of it because the bottom line is we're running out of time and teams are don't think are going to want to call their players back unless they know for sure we're like we're coming back or how many teams are going to be. You can't call your players to tell them come back to market unless you can tell them we're one of the 30 teams in this. We're one of the 20 teams in this, one of the 24. Wh- whatever it is, they've got to know what the plan and the structure is. And then it's going to be a couple-week process from when they call players. They're going to have to come back in. They're going to have to quarantine. Uh, some markets, and we wrote about this late last week, there's the possibility that maybe they petition the league to go directly to the site or somewhere in a, in a looser state between here and Orlando for maybe one of the Northeastern teams. So that's all going to be a big part of it. But for all we're talking about, Zach, of playoff structures and how it would play out and what it's going to look like, we both know, everybody knows, that if they get to Orlando and start playing, that event in itself is going to create situation scenarios, some that maybe we imagined, players testing positive, a coach testing positive for the coronavirus somebody on staff getting sick, what whatever it's going to be, and then the league's going to have to deal with that crisis and that issue. And as much as anything, none of the basketball stuff is really going to matter unless there's an environment that is not fraught with – there's going to be uncertainty there. There's no question. But what happens if there's something closer to panic? What if there's something closer to – the controversy of it's one thing if two players at uh, you know the, the a rotation player and maybe the fifth starter on a team gets sick. What happens if the two stars of a team 
test positive for the coronavirus and they have to be isolated from the team. And they say, well, guys, this is a 14 day quarantine. Adam Silver's plan and the owner's plan going into this and the players association was, and they're seeing it in other leagues around the world. If somebody tests positive, they remove that individual. Uh, they treat them, they isolate them, treat him or her, and they keep testing everybody else and the series goes on. But what the answer, the question that nobody really has and that I don't know that they're going to go in with an absolute strict number or I, I, I would imagine they don't want to box themselves into a corner and say, Zach, well, if three players on one team or five players on one team or this many people in a traveling party were to contract the coronavirus and get sick, the result is we're removing that team or whatever it is. And I think that's the uncertainty that hangs over this thing that make that ultimately may make all of the rest of this moot. And, and that's where they, they can figure out the basketball. They've done that before. Uh, the risk is going in and starting something, Zach, that you can't finish. And that might be fairly disastrous for the league. And it, it takes, there was always going to be some courage to come back and try to do it. Uh, but, but that's certainly the worst case scenario. This is a contact sport. Uh, referees, players, uh, coaches and staff around players. There's a level of intimacy in basketball that doesn't exist in, you know, the auto race, you know, the racing that we're seeing golf uh, start up again. Tennis. Golf. Yeah. Um, there are doomsday scenarios. There's no question about it. And there is, there is some number of players, particularly if it's starters or key rotation guys, if they're out, there is a breaking point at which a playoff series becomes untenable to continue. And I don't know what that point is. I don't know how many players that is. I don't think the league has a hard figure for it, but you're right that there's a certain point where I, I if, if, I'm not a scientist. I've talked to some. I've talked to people in the league, so I'm going to do my best to, to very carefully say what I know. But if this were a case of player X test positive for the coronavirus, now we have to quarantine in game before game three of the first round or something. Now we have to quarantine everyone on his team and everyone on the other team for an extended period of time. If that were the protocol they wouldn't be able to do this because it just that you would run out of time too quickly. Now, I don't know that the NBA yet has an exact answer for the question of what happens when a player tests positive. What happens, part of it will be, obviously, he is isolated and has to quarantine. It's more what happens to the other players. I think there will be some period where they, they isolate themselves awaiting test results and part of the Part of part of the NBA's return is going to be banking on accurate daily, quick response testing being available enough around the country to be available to NBA players in a pinch, and you then wait for all those test results to come in. If those people are all negative, they come out. Maybe it's an hour, maybe it's overnight, whatever it is. You go to practice the next day. The series continues. That's my understanding of it. Now there are some. The NBA doesn't. I, I don't think anyone knows for sure. Are there scenarios in which that one positive test results in a series being delayed by a day or two or something? Maybe, hopefully not. The hope is no, I think, but maybe, maybe not. Um, but look, the NBA is going to do the best it, 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 they can, and that's daily testing, high-speed results, 
frequent temperature checks. And the hope is to minimize any window when a player or a staff member might have it and and we don't know that they have it because that's the window where it becomes dangerous. And, and like you hear the word asymptomatic a lot, right? You talk to people in the league, you talk to scientists, asymptomatic is almost, it, it's a, it's a misnomer in that people describe themselves as asymptomatic because they don't feel the 99.5 temperature that they have. The NBA's hope is that we will find that 99.5 temperature before any, before the player senses that they have any symptoms. And the minute we find that you're out, you're getting tested and we see what happens. And we hope to close any and all gaps that way. But there are still going to be gaps. There's still going to be windows where there's a practice and the last set of test results were all negative and that was eight hours ago or whatever it is. And now there's a practice. Maybe something happened in that interim eight hours and we just, and it didn't show up in a fever or any symptoms. And then there's a practice. And as you said, dudes are banging on each other, colliding, sweating, touching the ball. And we'll see. Guys, Scott's Turf Builder Triple Action has acquired the secret to building a thicker, greener lawn. In return, they have taken all of the hard work out of the picture to give you more time to do nothing extra. People don't realize that it's easy to get the lawn of their dreams by simply feeding their lawn a few times throughout the year. Scott's Turf Builder Triple Action kills weeds, prevents crabgrass, and feeds to build thick, green lawns. With Scott's Turf Builder Triple Action, you can finally get the lawn you've always dreamt of. Scott's Turf Builder Triple Action will give your yard the nourishment it needs to help your weak, thin lawn recover. When you feed with Scott's Turf Builder Triple Action multiple times throughout the year, your grass will be greener, stronger, and even more resilient. Pick up a bag today. This is a Scott's yard. Also, Scott's no quibble money back guarantee states, if you're not satisfied, you get your money back. This is a Scott's yard. The great debate, who's the best of the best? Who is the real deal of the NBA? When it comes to home and auto insurance, there's only one real deal. But you're going to hear a lot of cases for a lot of players to be compared with Michael Jordan at the very top in the NBA. There are those who still make the case for the big men, Wilt Chamberlain, Bill Russell, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, the great big forwards in the history of the game, LeBron James certainly at the very top, Kobe Bryant in the backcourt, and even Tim Duncan who often is forgotten in the debate, but perhaps the greatest power forward in the history of the game. Whatever your opinion may be, there's one thing everyone can agree on. There's nothing realer than a teammate you can rely on. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. One of the biggest questions that I keep hearing from team executives that they're getting from their players Will a superstar player be treated the same if he tests positive as if me as a role player do? Will there, will there be a double standard there based on the level of star and how he impacts the playoffs? And the answer to that has to be yes. I mean, it has to be yes, but it is interesting that that question does come up a lot. Will there essentially, will there be? selective enforcement and I mean guys certainly this isn't like 
a role player could go in the playoffs and say, hey, are you going to officiate me the same way you're going to officiate LeBron or Kawhi? The answer probably is no. But in this case, the answer has to be yes. And uh, there's no getting around that. Uh, and so uh, I don't think there's an organization that would put itself in the position to hide a positive test in this climate. Uh, it would be the end of your career. It's not worth it. And I don't think a league would want to, even if you are considering the worst ethics of everybody, and I'm not, I'm not, I, I don't think that's anybody's plan or intention, but I do think it's human nature that players are asking that. And I think the league will be unequivocal to them that it's, this is going to be absent of your standing in the league. If you test positive, you're out of there. Yeah. I I'm fascinated to see what it all looks like just physically. Um, where players can go, what's going to be open to them, because obviously the league has pushed back on the bubble terminology as too restrictive. Campus, campus environment. Campus environment. Campus environment. But, but I, I think <clears throat> the answer to your question is emphatically yes, the superstar and the role player will be treated the same. I think this is going to be, I think the only way this works, and from what I've heard people in the league agree, is like this has to be as buttoned up and as strict as possible without being the equivalent of incarceration basically. And I don't think there is any room for exceptions or sloppiness. I don't think this is going to be a particularly pleasant experience for anybody. I don't think it's going to be pleasant for the media. I don't think it's good. I just, I just think it's going to be um, really, really strict. And, and that's the only way it works. And there's a bunch of questions like, like I, there's a, think of all the logistical questions I have to answer. Like what if an owner, and uh, no owner is good. I, maybe no owner, maybe some will, but I, I don't think a lot of owners are hungry to stay in the, in the campus environment for three months. And so if an owner wants to fly in and watch his team play a playoff game and fly out, how does that work? Cause I, I mean, I, I have a hard time imagining that some of the richest people in the world are going to be like, yeah, I'll just sign, I'll just be, I'll just chill here for three months and be in the bubble. How does that work? I, I, I don't know. I mean, families, I, I don't, there's just, I think it's going to be unpleasant. I don't think, I don't think, uh, you know, I think if you wanted to go and you said, well, I want to bring my wife or I want to bring my kids. I think that's just a hard no. I think it's a hard yeah. no for, for almost everybody. Yeah. I think there's going to be as the season unfolds there, I think there's going to be more opportunity from what I've gathered for whether it's beyond players, but players to have family there, it may not be available to you in the two-week quarantine slash training camp initially. And remember, after you get through the first wave of, you know, half the half the people there leave once their team's eliminated. Um, it's it's over quick. Uh, for many, it'll be over quick, and then those who stay are going to be motivated by the fact they're advancing in the playoffs, and they are more they will be more motivated to not be sloppy, to not be careless, because they have more to lose. They have more at stake. I mean, if you're a role player on the Clippers, you're a role player on the Lakers or the Bucks, you want to be the one who gets blamed because LeBron and AD didn't win the title or Giannis doesn't win and, and you put your team in a situation? Like, it, so I do think it's, it's really awful to think about because it, it's awful to think about because we saw what happened to Gobert. This is the first sentence in Gobert's career obituary forever when he retires. And, and that's just, it's not fair. 
and it it's it's fair in the sense that he did something silly and on camera, but we don't know how he got it, and it's it, it's easy to get. Like it's easy to get. You can be vigilant and still get it. Right. You can be now. Maybe if you just literally seal yourself up in your mm-hmm. hotel room and go to games wearing oven mitts and then take the oven mitt. I don't know, but you know, I agree with you. Like. People are going to be what you're saying. I, I hadn't thought of it that way. If you're if you're role if you're the tenth man on the Lakers, I mean that's a, that's a level of infamy you don't want. Right. But it but it man that's it, but that's, right, right. It may not, and that doesn't mean it's intentional or it even comes from carelessness. But all you can do, you are only as strong in this environment as the least compliant person, and that may be far beyond the roster or the front office or the coaching staff. Uh, there's going to be a lot of people living in that environment in a lot of different roles that could contribute to uh, potential problems. And that's, again, this is all the risk that th- they're, they're taking. And so, uh, yeah, how this looks and how this plays out into next season, into the rest of this season and the start of next season. And l- let me jump there, Zach, yeah. for a moment. There's going to be a time where we're, once this restarts and resumes, and they decide what it's going to be, who's in, what the format is, the attention very quickly is going to turn with the Players Association and the league to start negotiating a lot of issues around this current collective bargaining agreement. To put it in simpler terms, the agreement they have, which is essentially a 50-50 split of basketball-related income, it does not work when there's no income. There's no fans and there's no fans and stands, there's no concessions uh, when potentially 40% of the revenue uh, that is built around game night is compromised. It has a trickle down for teams who are trying to, for their own revenue, it has trickle down with revenue sharing, all those issues. The idea that next season, how free agency is going to look, salary cap, luxury tax, all this has to be negotiated, and Zach, it has a chance to get very contentious because, again, if we are in a country where even if half the league decides we can have fans in our buildings and half the league and then there's a pocket that says we cannot have fans in this region or we can have 4,000 people in a 20,000-seat arena, that's what we can do in a socially distanced environment there is a lot that's got to be agreed upon to make the money work and even if adam silver largely gets everybody on board to put a lot of their frustrations with how this plays out this summer aside boy there's the potential for a lot of strife moving forward and and i don't know that everybody has quite identified that i don't know if the players have fully embraced how contentious it might be and how different the financial structure could look because the league has held on to the right to tear apart and essentially cancel out this collective bargaining agreement and negotiate and and then have to negotiate a whole new one. They're trying to, to come to terms here without having to do that to, and I think there's optimism on both sides that they can get there, but boy, there's, there's a lot, that could go wrong here over the next several months as we look into a season that almost assuredly is not starting until at least late December. And you can negotiate, they can negotiate 
big chunks of the current CBA and essentially rewrite them without there being – they can do that now. They can do that yesterday. They can do that tomorrow. But the bigger and more fundamental chunk it is, the, 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 the bigger – the more you chip away at the very structure of how the league works, the more complicated it gets. I mean I – what is what what is what is the biggest source then of biggest potential source of strife? Because I just, as you said, there's a fifty fifty revenue split, and the revenue is going down the drain right now. I, I don't. Maybe I'm being naive. I don't see the league saying, "Well, we now need to make that a sixty forty revenue split." I mean, where what is the source of the strife? I mean, it. it Obviously, there are individual players who are going to be disadvantaged if the cap goes down or up. I signed my extension thinking it was going to be worth this much and it's only this much. I mean, that's, that's life. We've seen that happen before with the cap spike in 2016 and the, and the effects of that that rippled over multiple years. But what, what are the, yeah, you could rip apart the CBA and write an entirely new one that says really awful things for players. I, I don't, I don't see that in the cards somehow. Yeah. And I think what's going to have to be worked out here and the union had, in the other direction, when the new TV deal came in and revenue spiked and they said, the league said, hey, let's let's gradually uh, incorporate this cap space and, and the money available over a period of years. So a, a, several classes of free agents and players, number one, can benefit from it, not just the class of Solomon Hill and Timothy Mozgov and uh, – Ian Mahimi. Uh, I called them the Beyond the Beyondgovs. And the Beyond, that's right. Is Mac Beyondbo. Uh, so that all, that's going to be the question. Now it's going the other direction. Are we going to have a scenario where one class takes a dramatic hit and the other, the bigger issue is if the cap were to dramatic, if, if you weren't going to artificially uh, help to, to maneuver with this coming cap, you could have as many as 25 teams in luxury tax. That's untenable. Yeah, that doesn't, that has never made, I understand the math people are doing to get yeah. there. I just can't imagine. And I've literally had very, I've had very few conversations about all this because I, I've just, I haven't been focused so much there. I can't imagine the league. I, I, and the luxury tax has ramifications for revenue sharing. I get that, but I, they're just, 25 teams paying the luxury tax doesn't make any sense. You either suspend it for a season, you raise it up so that, or you keep it where it was so that teams who were planning for a luxury tax at a certain level are not punished for essentially planning. Um, I, I just can't imagine that that's a thing that is, is ever going to happen. 25 teams paying the luxury tax. Hey guys, now more than ever, we have to look out for each other and count on each other. Marathon wants you to know that you can count on them for the high quality top-tier gas. Marathon gasolines are formulated with STP additives. They keep your vehicle running at peak performance by optimizing fuel economy, removing those ugly buildups, and by reducing emissions. And right now, you can get five cents off every gallon every day with make-it-count rewards from Marathon. Plus, you can earn points for additional savings on fuel, airfare, hotels, and more. This is definitely a deal you can count on. It's quick and easy to join. Just download the free Make It Count app or go to makeitcount.com slash radio and start saving today. This offer is valid only at participating Marathon stations. Remember, wherever you need to go, be safe. The people at Marathon are behind you all the way. Let's go here, Zach. 
Look around the league. What are the rosters and teams that when you think about the delay in three months, the impact it had on perhaps really changing the trajectory of where their season was versus what could happen now. I think you've got to start in Philadelphia that Ben Simmons would not have probably been able to come back if we had just moved directly into the playoffs. And now all of a sudden, if you have Ben Simmons back, how things look for the Sixers. Now I know everybody talked about the Nets. They're not, KD is not playing for the Nets. Uh, Kyrie's not, there's no, certainly I don't know of any plans for that to happen with either of them. But I think the Sixers are the one, right, Zach, that you start with them and say, hey, that, I don't want, this wasn't a good thing for anybody, but for the purposes of that roster, that lineup, maybe. Yeah. I mean, for certainly without Ben Simmons, they're not doing anything serious and they're slated to play Boston in the first round of the playoffs, which is, um, you know, it's unclear if Ben Simmons would have been ready for the the actual, I, I think they, the indications were positive. He would have been ready for like the normal start date of the NBA playoffs, but now he's in theory kind of more than ready. You know, and Giannis had that lingering knee issue too, uh, before, I mean, there was a whole MVP race that might have emerged had Giannis missed 10 or 15 games and LeBron really had a chance to make up whatever ground he had to make up. So I think that's another team. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, and then it's just going to become a matter of, um, you know, is there an outside shot? Jonathan Isaac plays the little things like that. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I don't think. I think you know, it's a, if there's a shot, it's very, very small. But um, and then it's just going to be a matter of who's done the best to stay in shape and 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 who. It, it's it's hard to imagine that we're going to get through a quick startup like this without a hamstring there or a whatever there, and you know who kind of who just either through preparation or the luck of the draw kind of avoids those. Um, avoids those sort of ramp up injuries that, you know, I mean, you know, as well as I do, the teams are looking at the Bundesliga. I've never said the word Bundesliga in my life until about two weeks ago. Mm -hmm. And apparently there's been sort of a spate of those sorts of injuries there as they've restarted. And then NBA teams are afraid of that for sure. They absolutely, they're all talking about that. And that's why you're seeing so much. There's so much of a push to not sacrifice training camp time and workout time to not rush back into this season and to take as much time as they can to properly have players conditioned and prepared because more than not having players healthy to play and whatever this thing is going to be coming up, teams really don't want the start of next season impacted for them or next season impacted. And that is uh, – such a focus when you talk and players certainly know it, you know, they've gone back and looked at a lot of the data, all the data from lockout years and the kind of injuries that came out of lockouts. And even in a lockout, you could go find a gym and run and play. There was no societal limits on playing ball. There was in this case. And so guys are coming back and teams are seeing it even in these voluntary workouts. There, there are those who are coming back in very different condition even within the same team. And when you start back up again and you have guys at different stages of conditioning, you know, this is a challenge for teams and teams know this. If a player gets injured and has a significant injury, he is and a GM has said this to me a couple of times. They're not blaming the league for the structure, the setup. They're blaming us. They're blaming the team they're on 
that we put them out there and we told them it was safe. And then this significant injury happens and now there are hard feelings toward us and, and that's on the minds of, of, of all of these guys. And, and that's going to be a real, this season started out as a little bit of a, you know, what teams could endure. There, there were so many significant injuries. And I think this restart is going to probably become as much about who can get through it the healthiest. And that might be the team that, you know, can win it all. Well, think of a couple players who are slated to play in the first round in the East standings as they are now anyway. You know, Andre Iguodala was inact- not inactive. I mean, Andre Iguodala was staying in shape. He clearly looked like himself for the most part, but he's not playing competitive basketball to his normal standards for a long time, gets traded and then sort of lifted into the Miami Heat, and then boom, the season's over. And I, I look at a guy like Victor Oladipo who suffers a traumatic injury, misses a year? I mean, he missed a long time. Um, I believe he played his first game on January 29th, the very last day of January. He barely played, and now he goes back to quarantine, and I, I don't know what his situation is, what setup he's got wherever he is. But you, you start playing, you stop playing, and then you start playing again. I mean, if that for a guy like that, that's a – I don't know what the that, – that's a tricky timetable for sure. We could do another hour, Zach. There are so many elements – to the league's resumption of play, what it means this season, what it means in the future. Um, and I know we'll get to a ton of it here coming up. Uh, I appreciate the home and home series today. This was fun. <laughs> Go back, make sure you listen to the first part of our conversation. Speaking of that, mm-hmm. how big of a deal, what are you hearing about home court advantage or like in terms of how, 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 sort of the the wanderlust for not having it anymore if you've earned it. Like, I think that's that's really – that's a big part, especially when you get to the end and it's the conference finals and you've got game seven at home. That's a big, big deal. It's huge. And it's another reason why the contending teams, if you ask them to come back and play regular season games, why they're even less motivated to put their key players in those environments because – Seeding matters less. You don't have to worry about winning game seven at the Staples Center. If you're Houston, Denver, whomever, even if you're the Clippers, like the Clippers know if they play a seven game series at Staples against the Lakers, they're all going to generally, some are really going to be Laker home games and the others are going to kind of still feel a little like Laker home games. That's out the window. So it does impact the postseason in that way, but. Zach, this was a lot of fun. We will talk soon. Thanks thanks for jumping in, man. Thanks for having me as always. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Woj Pod. A big thank you to my guest today, ESPN's Zach Lowe. You can catch the first part of our conversation on the Low Post. And, of course, you can check out new and archived episodes of Not only the Low Post, but the Woj Pod, wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to also check out the Hoop Collective with Brian Windhurst, the SVP Pod with Scott Van Pelt, and Ariel Hawani's MMA show. We'll catch you next time.